1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 3, and we read, I passed on to you what was most important and what had also been passed on to me, that Christ died for our sins, just as the scriptures said. He was buried and he was raised from the dead on the third day, as the scriptures said. He was seen by Peter and then by the twelve apostles. After that, he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have died now. Earmark that really quick. They're not alive now, just to let you know. All right. <laughs> then he was seen by James and later by the apostles. Last of all, I saw him, and this is the apostle Paul speaking, too, long after the others, as though I had been born at the wrong time. For I am the least of the apostles, and I am not worthy to be called an apostle after the way I persecuted the church of God. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that your word has been preserved through the ages. We thank you that your word is alive, that your word is illuminated for us, and that it is active in our hearts. We ask you right now to just put your message inside of us. Let it dig, grow deep roots inside of us and stay planted in our hearts. In Jesus' name. Amen. I first have to give you guys a nod and a smile. I, I, I have to smile because it seems like most churches that I go to, like, you know, I used to preach, like, at various churches, is that, like, the first three or four rows is usually empty. And we've continued that tradition today, and I'm going like, <sighs> but that's okay. <laughs> I'm glad you guys are here. Um, you know, we come to church on Easter and we come to church on Easter by tradition. It's one of those Sundays where it's like, that's a don't miss earmark, you come to church on Easter kind of day. And we come and we, we want to hear this message of this empty tomb. And we want to hear about He is risen. And those are very true and real things. All right? And, and that did happen on His third day. He rose miraculously after His crucifi crucifixion and rose from the grave. His physical body was brought back to life. And that's important for us to realize that his physical body was brought back to life. It was not a holographic image of him or anything like that, but it was his physical body that was brought back to life for us. And then he took some time over the next following weeks where he appeared to various people, his disciples and his followers, in physical form. And I want to just share with you a couple that I think that were very interesting. And that first one that I want to share with you guys before we get into our message is Thomas. A lot of people called Thomas Doubting Thomas. Um, he was one of the disciples. And when it was announced to Thomas that some people had seen that he had been risen from the grave, Thomas said, uh, I ain't going to believe that. I'm a skeptic. How many of us are skeptic if we don't see Right? We can be honest about that. Thomas was a skeptic. He says, unless I see him physically, unless I can touch those wounds I saw while he was on the cross, unless I can stick my hands in the side of his body where I saw that Roman soldier pierce him on Friday, I'm not going to believe this story. And we read in John chapter 20, verse 24 to 29, that Jesus appeared to Thomas and said, Thomas, I know you need a little encouragement here. Touch my hands. Touch my hands. Touch my side. See that I am real. And Thomas got a, a wonderful thing in being able to say, this is the Son of God. He has risen alive. 
He's alive today. Awesome for Thomas. There would be a totally different perspective if Jesus was sitting on this stool this morning, wouldn't it? And he could just hold out his hands and say, look guys, and we could all come up and touch his wrists or his hands or whatever and touch his side. And he's not here physically in form today, but he is here, his spirit is. The next one I want to share with you guys before we get into the story is Peter. Peter is important for us. First of all, I have to tell you guys that the Apostle Peter is my favorite one because Peter went on to do some great things to advance the gospel, but Peter was a simple man. He was an uneducated man. He was a working blue-collar stiff like me. I love that about Peter. Peter, on the night that Jesus was betrayed, or what we celebrate on Good Friday, came and, and in the courts that evening, he denied in front of people three separate times that he had anything to do with this guy Jesus. He was, he was probably scared that he was going to get in trouble too. He was concerned that he was going to get hurt. He was concerned he was going to get put in jail. Um, so he just kind of like, I don't, I don't know who that guy is. And a lot of times we think, oh man, I wouldn't deny my Jesus. I wouldn't deny Jesus. I would, you know, I wouldn't do that. But it happens. And it happened to Peter. Peter walked physically with Jesus. He watched Jesus look at a fig tree and say, hey, there ain't no fruit there. Die, tree. And Peter still denied, I don't know who that guy is. But it, after Jesus is rising from the dead, he meets Peter on the shores of the Sea of Galilee one day. And Peter himself had decided that he would go back to his own job in shame. He'd go back to his blue-collar job of fishing and just do that and be happy with that and, and live his life going, I denied my God. And what does Jesus do? He prepares breakfast for him on the shores. He makes, a fi he, he makes fish for him, you know, a nice breakfast, and sits there with Peter and, and has fellowship with him. And then he, he talks to Peter and says, Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? And he says, yes, I love you. And he says, then feed my sheep. And he does this to Peter three separate times during this meal. And in that moment, Jesus goes, Peter, I know that you denied me in fear. I know you denied me in, 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 in being concerned for yourself. I understand that. But I still love you, Peter. And I still have a purpose. And I still have a plan for you. And so I am restoring to you and letting you understand that the calling that I have placed on you, Peter, to be a minister of the gospel and share me is still a calling that's valid, even though you made some poor choices. And he probably even told Peter this, is, Peter, we're going to get done with breakfast today and you're going to feel a little better, but you're going to go make a mess again. You're going to go do something wrong. You are going to sin again. But I still love you, Peter. And I have a purpose for you. And that's true for all of us. Isn't that awesome? And so as we come into this message this morning, we hear Paul talk about his experience and what he knows and what the chronological dialogue and the history says is Jesus is risen. And we bring it today and we celebrate Easter. Easter. i got to ask you some questions. Right, And I want you to have these questions on the tip of your mind this morning as I share with you this journey we're about ready to go on. 
The first question I want to ask you is, what does the resurrection of Jesus Christ mean to you? What does the resurrection of Jesus Christ mean to you? Does it have a very specific meaning or a vague meaning? And what about his death? What do you understand about his death on the cross? And what does it mean for you today? I want you to have those on the top of your head. All right, and to answer and help you come to some <laughs> to help you come to some conclusions to these questions this morning, I want to take you guys on a journey. And it's a journey that is familiar to probably a lot of people that have been into the church for the last 30 years or so. We used to do this famous, popular evangelistic thing called the Roman Road. And it's a journey through the book of Romans to understand Jesus' purpose and his end, his end work. And so I want to take you guys down that road this morning. All right? But the first step we have to do is we have to answer this question right here to answer those. All right? Is who is God? We have to establish who is God. All right, and we're going to start in Romans. If you're taking notes this morning, I encourage you to do so. If not, you have to listen to this every day on the way to work for the next week. I'm just kidding. But if you want to listen to it again, we do podcast it. <laughs> Romans chapter 1, verses 20 through 21. This is, a, this is a passage establishing who God is. For since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes are clearly seen being understood by the things that are made, even His eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse, because although they knew God, they did not glorify Him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. You see, the God that we worship in this church, that Christians worship, is the God of all creation. He's the God that placed and designed everything that we can see, that we can touch, and that we can experience. I mean, look at the skies, the earth and everything around us. Look at the skies. Yesterday we were, we were out in the park and it was 65 degrees out and the sun was shining and we were getting the vitamin D injection from a long winter, weren't we? And it was wonderful. And this morning, it's, it's cloudy out there. And it's dripping slow rain. And while we've had enough weather for the year, I'm glad that God designed these things to happen because this is the time of year where you want to have some of that slow rain soaking into the ground and nourishing the desert. Here in another month, our desert will be green for a little, time, a little while and it'll be beautiful and the grasses will grow and the trees will flourish and the fire we had up north last year, we'll have fireweed emerge through that burned soil. And there will be a new forest someday because the establishment of everything he did to make the seasons and the moisture come. Or look at the stars in heaven and how the stars have their place and they're in the same place day after day and they follow a certain pattern. And the scientists can take the math and they can tell you when Venus is going to be brightest in the sky and at what day. And they can tell you when there's going to be a meteor shower. Or we can gauge the moon and know when it's going to be a full moon or a half moon. We can't say that something like that just happened. That we just started throwing quarters at the wall until something amazing happened. Something made that happen. 
What about animals? Animals that go through the seasons. Deer, their antlers fall off this time, of, or a little bit earlier than now. But then this time of year, what do we do? We go pick them up so we can make light fixtures and everything else. And we do those kinds of things. And they'll grow new ones. And here pretty soon we'll see all those deer with those nice velvety racks out there. And all of us guys will slobber and ooh and ah over the different deer and choose the one that hopefully we can find that will be non-existent on opening day. <laughs> you guys know how it is. They know when to rut and they know when their babies should be born. Year after year, for thousands of years, these animals have done it. Year after year, in and out. How many of you guys have ever seen one of the cottonwood trees down at the river blossom into leaves in the middle of winter? They know the seasons. They know the temperatures and the, the location of the sun and when to go to wake and when to turn yellow and go to sleep at night. Because somebody designed it. It doesn't just happen. Trial and error doesn't take place in this stuff. He's the creator of all things. We tried to use, utilize science and our own knowledge to disprove God, but the more you look at it and the more you look at the evidence, you see that, man, something had to take place to make this happen. We have animals out there that are like, they're like machines. I mean, we got cars outside around the church right now, and it's not like guys were throwing scraps of metal against the wall until a car fell down. You know, <laughs> you know, he he created it all. And we as his creation, as this passage in Romans says, were made to glorify him. But it says that we did not glorify him as God. We failed to glorify him and that originally took place when Adam and Eve took on original sin in the Garden of Eden. And they took from the fruit that was not their business to take, but God left in there anyway so that they had the right to choose. So he couldn't say, I'm going to leave you captive. But you have the right to choose which road you will take. And they took the sin road. And ever since then, sin has been free to reign in our world and do its nasty work. And we all fall prey to it. Our hearts were darkened as the sin in the world. But fortunately for us, Jesus, paved the road for us to travel to find redemption in Him. The only way to salvation, and this is my thesis statement, the only way to salvation and forgiveness from our fallen sin is through Jesus Christ. You see, we are all guilty of sin. If you move along in this book of Romans, you go to a verse in Romans chapter 3, verse 23, and some people might be able to recite this one. It says, For all have sinned, and all fall short of the glory of God. All people are born guilty of sin. We are born into it. Though there are a lot of good people, they are still sinners. I know some great people. And I work out in the, in the uh, Trona patch in the mines, and I work with some fantastic guys, man. Good guys, hardworking guys. They go to work every day. They put in their eight hours or the 12 hours, whatever kind of shift they're on. And they put food on their table and they provide for their families and they are active in their communities. They're good people, great people, nice guys, nice ladies too. We got some ladies that work there too, working hard, you know. We got a lady that's there working full time in the mines with the guys rough and grumble because her husband's disabled. And she knows that her family needs food on the table. It's like, I'm going to do something about it. 
And so she goes and works in that mine. Good for her. You know, and we don't we don't hold back anything on her. We make her drive the tractors and grab the shovels and work just as hard as we do. She makes the same as us, so but um but she does it, and she does it with a smile on her face. But at the end of the day, if they have not chosen Jesus Christ as their Savior, they're still guilty of sin because we do things that are wrong. We do things that don't glorify God. We do things that are out of our design and and way we are created for, and we do things that don't glorify Him. We get involved in things that don't glorify Him. We have habits that don't glorify Him. We have entertainment that doesn't glorify Him. And I'm not getting legalistic here. I mean, if you like to watch whatever, you know, that's your business, but... God, God reveals those things. Um, we're born into it, and we don't glorify God. Our guilty sentence is a punishable sentence, and we have to remember that this morning. Our guilty sin has a punishment. There has to be a punishment for it. God is just. He is a just God. And for him to just say, it's done. There's no payment for any sin. I'm just going to wash it over that really diminishes his authority and how powerful and how awesome he is. And so something has to take place. Something has to happen to make things right. He's just, and he just can't let sin slide. Death and bloodshed is the only way that he can fulfill guilt, punishment, damnation. My mom's here listening to me preach today. I have to laugh because she's looking at me. She's like, are you one of them pulpit pounder types? You know, I think she listens to me online. She's like, are you one of them pulpit I said, no, I'm not a pulpit pounder. I'm pounding it a little bit today because I just want you guys to get this one. I'm, I'm a nice guy. I'm a fun guy, okay? But I just want you to get this one. So rejoice. Um, God has given one way, one way to achieve forgiveness from our sins, and that's through Jesus Christ. That's why we're celebrating this weekend. Through Jesus who died in our place for our sin, it was an act of love, perfect love. John 15, 13 tells us that greater love has no man than this, than a man lay down his life for his friends. I think that's something that people don't realize sometimes about God is that he thinks he's some kind of up there with his rod, and he's going to strike you down with lightning when you walk into the church because you're such a dirty bugger and you chew Copenhagen, you know, that kind of thing. And that's not who he is. He's a God that wants love to love you. He's a God that wants to have a relationship with you. He wants to spend time with you. He wants to talk to you. One of the old hymns that I used to like to sing, listen to, I played on my guitar when I'm up here by myself is in the garden. It just talks about how he's in the garden and he walks with me and he talks with me and he tells me I am his own. Wonderful. This is a fictitious story, but there was a boy years ago. So pretend like it's real, but it's not real. There's a boy years ago that went fishing with his dad and he took his friend along. And while they were fishing on the shore or off the shore in a small boat in the ocean, a storm came. And it capsized their boat. And so here they are in the ocean in a capsized boat. And it's not looking good. Dad's stronger than the kids. They're probably like Joram's age or, you know. And um, they got their life jackets on, but it's a turbulent sea. And the dad in this story 
happens to be a preacher. And he knows his son has made a decision for Christ, and he's looking at this storm, and he's trying to get these kids rounded up on the boat, and he can only choose one. If it was me, sorry, Caleb, if it was you and Elijah, you know, I mean, just natural reaction, right, Nate? Would you grab your own kid? You know, I'm not going to lie. This guy looks at it, and he says, I know where my son's going, but I don't know where he's going. And so I'm going to choose him. Greater love has no man than to lay down for a friend. He chose that little boy so that that little boy could have an eternal awesomeness. Because he knew his son was going to have an eternal awesomeness. Jesus dying on the cross was about his love for you and me. God's love for his created children. Romans 5.8 tells us, but God demonstrated his love towards us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You see, eternal life is a real thing. When you die, we're not just going to go to sleep and that's it, like a Dell computer that pukes. There's something that happens to us after we die. There's an eternity that takes place. And there's two places you can go. You can go into the place of punishment that's not pretty and it smells like rotten egg. Or you can go with him. And how do you do that? It's through an acknowledgement. It's through an acknowledgement of Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. And that's why we celebrate Easter is to remember that. It's not about looking right. It's not about me wearing a suit. I hope you guys, if you came in today, you saw a pastor wearing a suit, like, oh, I should have worn a suit. Look, this is the only time I've ever wore a suit inside this church. And I almost did it as a dare. I told everybody one time, I said, yeah, I'm going to show up in a suit one of these days. And Easter's like the only day that I would really feel comfortable to wear a suit to church here because we're just, we're Wyoming folk, right? We wear our Levi's and we wear our Wrangler shirts and our boots or whatever, and that's okay. You know, I guess this is a side note. I go on bunny trails, but I mean, I have had guys that come in and it's like, how many cans of skull do you got in your lip? You know, but they're welcome here because they're God's children. I love them. You know, I have guys that got right off the oil rig before they showed up in their diggers. I don't, is that what you guys call them in the oil field? That's what we call them in the mine, your clothes. They're in their digger clothes. Dirty, just please get the grease off of your boots before you come in. There's a brush outside. That's all I ask. You know, I love those kind of guys. They're the best. They're the real type. I had a pastor who was a mentor of mine when I was going into the ministry, tell me that he goes, man, when I go to a church, I like to go walk around outside out in the parking lot and count the cigarette butts. <laughs> I like to count the cigarette butts. And he said, and if I can't count very many, he says, I wonder if that church is really doing a good job or not. Amen? It's for real people. Church is for real people, right? To change people, to show people that there's a God that truly loves you and you don't have to be perfect for him to love you. He loves you just the way you are. Right? All right. It's not about looking right. It's not about being good. He convicts us and he calls us to try to make changes in our lives and become better and more like him and more Christ-like. That's discipleship, drawing and being, becoming more like him and, and, and getting rid of the sin in our lives. But to just come and... Accept him as Savior, there's not a certain place you have to be at in that for that to happen. 
And after you get saved, it's not like you have to be churchy and you have to start to talk only in the King James voice. You know what I mean? Have you ever been around some of those folks that talk like that? King James only talk? Like, please speak English. Right? Right? All right? I've heard it countless times before that people will do the church thing when they get their lives together. Or if I stepped foot in the church this morning, God would strike me with lightning. If He was going to strike down sinners with lightning, He would have had Darth Vader bring the, bring the Death Star over to earth and hit it with that laser beam and blow it up like He did dancing. <laughs> Because that, that's the place where it should be. We're all a mess. But he loves us anyways. Jesus dying on the cross was about his love for you and his love for me. God's love for his created children. You're his created children. And when he wrote these scriptures and he did that on there, he wasn't just standing there thinking about mankind. You gotta remember he's all powerful and he can have a billion thoughts at once. He was thinking about you. He was thinking about each and every one of you when he was on that cross. He was thinking about Elijah and he knew what Elijah was gonna do that was wrong. He knew that Elijah was gonna leave dad's tools out. And he said, I love him still. He knew that Joram was gonna be addicted to his tablet and dad was gonna be yelling at him all the time to turn the video games off. <laughs> and he said, I love him. Right? He's a good dad. We're all a mess. But that is why Jesus is the only way to be saved and have eternity in heaven with him. Because he lived a perfect life. And all we have to do is make that acknowledgement, confess and believe. Many acknowledge the existence of Jesus Christ. Many acknowledge and admit that Jesus Christ existed. A lot of people don't realize this, but, getting back to my notes before I make a mess out of things. <laughs> See? There's archaeological evidence, and the archaeologists agree that the evidence that Jesus existed as a man on earth is too vast to deny. It's too vast to deny. There's just too much information out there that this man existed. The Muslim religion believes that Jesus Christ existed. They consider him a prophet. But they believe he existed, and they do believe that he's going to come back too. I think that was kind of interesting. I heard that one the other day. They believe he will come back. Jews believe that Jesus existed. They believe he was a false prophet, but they do believe that he existed. And we believe that he existed, but we do believe that what the New Testament tells about what he did and what he achieved fulfills the prophecies that were placed in the Old Testament about the coming Savior, and that he is God, and that he rose again, and he took that punishment for our sins. To be saved takes more than believing that Jesus existed. To be saved takes acknowledgement. Romans 10, 9, and 10. And this is another one I'll bet you guys can recite. And that's good. If you confess with your mouth that Lord, the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, 
you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth one confesses and is made unto salvation. Confess and believe. It's called the ABCs of salvation. Admit you're a sinner. Believe Jesus Christ died and rose again for that. And confess Him as your Savior. Nice and easy, simple peasy. I always tell people when I was teaching people how to survey, when I surveyed, I'd say, I follow the KISS method of training. You guys know the KISS method of training? Keep it simple, stupid. You know what I mean? We make it so hard. You know, people make it hard. Like, to be saved, to be a Christian, to do this, to do that. I gotta look like this. I gotta do this. I gotta do that. I gotta act this way. I gotta do it that way. Keep it simple, stupid. I'm sorry if that hurts your feelings, but keep it simple, stupid. Admit you're a sinner. Believe he died and rose again, and confess him as Lord. Nice and easy. End of story, right? Let's all go home and eat ham. <laughs> we got it. Who's having ham today? We're not having ham. I'm allergic to pork. All right. Okay. <laughs> Confessing. <laughs> Confessing. You must admit and acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord. Knowingly. Declaration. Verbal acknowledgement. It says in Romans 10.9 here, if you confess with your mouth that the Lord, Je the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart. That's all He asks us to do is to make an admittance. Right? There's no formula. There's no rituals. That can save us. Right? If you come in and you take the next 10 paychecks and you throw them in the offering, you're not going to be a better Christian than the person that came in and threw their gum wrapper in there. You know? You're not. It doesn't make you better. Saved or not saved, it's easy. All right? You must admit God to God that you are a sinner, believe that Christ rose from the dead, and confess Him as your Savior. Romans 10.13 says, For whoever calls on the name of the Lord Jesus shall be saved. Kim's got a video I want her to play. This is who Jesus is. Woo! That's my king. I wish I could preach like that, man. Ooh, he's the sinner savior. He's the savior of the world. He's my king. I wish I could do it. I can't, though. I can't. If I did that, I'd have no voice by the end of the service, and I'd go, well, what did I just do? Zach, don't. And Kim will probably go, why are you doing that? That's part of my macho man Randy Savage impression. You know, don't you mean snap and do Slim Jim? But the whole message I want to share with you guys today that is the very basis of what it means to be a Christian and what it means to have a church. And when I say a church, not cinder block walls with cute little pictures on the side. I'm talking the church, his people, his children, his family. And the basis of why I would move to Marbleton is because Jesus loves his children. He loves his creation and he wants people to be a part of it. That's what it's about. He loves us. He's a good, good father. Um, I'm glad I've chosen him. I hope you've chosen him.